You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. So we're going to take uh, some questions. So we're just kind of doing a test live stream here of uh, us asking or answering questions on theology, the Bible, your li- uh, real life situation and how they apply. And uh, Monique's claim to fame. We both have our Biola sweatshirts. Yes, on. here we go. Whoop, whoop, be you. Yeah. Represent. Rep. That's right. Yes. Biola grads. see? Yes. There it is. <laughs> got the official t-shirt. Mine's um, a little older than yours. I got mine in 1986. Yes. Were you wow. even born yet? In yes, okay. I was a few years old, just a few, <laughs> only a few. I think you got your sweatshirt yesterday. I got mine yesterday. <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. Yeah. So, uh, are we streaming? We're yeah, good? We're good. Yeah, all right. I'm watching right now. You have three people watching. They're all in this room. Awesome. <laughs> got three people watching. So that voice that you heard off mic is uh, my sarcastic teenager. No. And she's monitoring the live chat. So if you want to talk to us on the YouTube live chat box, you can do that. And if you swear at us, she'll throw you out. Yes, yes, <laughs> she will. She has been taught well. That's right. My husband's over there doing the, the live switching and trying to uh, grow a third arm so that he can uh, punch all the buttons at, at the right time. Yes. So we're excited to think about doing a live stream possibly on a regular basis to talk about what's okay. happening in our world. Right coming up is our live chat view, so we're gonna switch to that. Okay, here's our live chat awesome. view. Awesome. So it's, it's, it needs a little work, but uh, yeah, I, I can almost read it. Well, do you want me to type something? Yeah, go ahead and type something. We'll okay. Abby type, type something there. All right, my phone's going off. Oh, it's my aunt. I don't know if we should read the text messages I know. and stuff while we're live. Yeah. But, you know, it's okay. That's all right. So. There we go. We see Abby saying hello there. Hello. Hello, Abigail. So let's talk about you. Let's uh, maybe let people know a little bit more about you. You have a background in ministry. And yes. Social work. Yes. And mission work. Yes. You lived in South Africa for a, for a few years. Just moved home nine months ago. Yeah. Yes, lived right outside of Cape Town in a city called Stellenbosch and did work with kids. So what yes. kind of work did you do? Did counseling. Okay, because yeah. that could be anything. Work yeah, with kids. Work, I just, it could be puppets. It could be anything. Taught dance a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, that was my original purpose for going over was to teach dance and do a little dance therapy. And the Lord just changed all of that up within the first year. And I was working in an area called the Cape Flats, which is just east of Cape Town proper, doing counseling with traumatized kids who have experienced all manner of horrific abuse. Yeah. And I think that what's really cool about Monique's perspective is that you have such a global perspective on Christianity. And, um, you know, I kind of, my background here is just pretty much Southern California. It's the only place I've ever lived. I've lived here and I've lived 15 miles from here. And that's it. Okay. (laughs) Whereas you've had much more uh, diverse experience. What did you notice about... um, the church in South Africa? Like, how is that different than what you observe in churches here in America? I think the biggest thing, and we're just gonna dive right on into the deep end, yeah. is miracles. Okay. 
um, the church in South Africa, at least the church that I was a part of, and the church in Zambia, when I've um, done work there, is their big belief in miracles. Like, it's not just a you know, a hope or a wish. It is a, this is an expectation. This is what the Lord says. This is what he promises. And this is what we go for. And because of that, I just, I think that they walk in signs and wonders that, that I haven't seen here in, in the States. That's interesting because a very common question that I've been noticing that I'm getting more and more is people asking the question, why don't I see miracles like I do in the Bible? Mm -hmm. This is very troubling to some Christians and a stumbling block to some non-Christians because they they look in scripture and they see a lot of signs and wonders and they think like, what's wrong with the church today? Like, is it the real church? Because it doesn't look the same. Mm -hmm. And so in your experience from living overseas, uh, we have to be careful to, to not universalize the American church as being the global church. Yes. So I would wonder, like, what do you think is different in that sense that allows the African church to be more open to the, to the miraculous, like in comparison to the church here in, in America? I think one of the things is just the desperation. Mm. I think in a lot of areas there aren't doctors or, and not necessarily in Stellenbosch, but in certain places in Africa, the, the access to medical isn't, you know, as readily available as it is here, one, and then two, the financial cost of that isn't as readily available or accessible. People aren't, you know, walking down the street saying, oh, let me, you know, pull out my insurance card to pay for this. It is, I'm going to Dr. Jesus and I'm going with this expectation as he did, you know, in the book of Matthew or as, you know, the, the early church did and as those healings took place, they stand on that. Wow. So what do you think is it that hinders us in the West from seeing miracles? Like, is there something about our culture or our way of being? What do you think about that? I, I've got some thoughts. I but. do. And I personally think that we just have a lot. We have a lot of resource. And because we have so much resource, I can rely on that a little bit more than I need to maybe, or not even more than I need to. It's just, a, I don't necessarily have to go to Jesus first when I get a cold. I don't necessarily have to go to Jesus first when I get some, you know, horrible diagnosis, but I don't, um, I don't know what, what happened over there. Oh okay. yeah. We just gotta go. Yeah, we just keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that is, that's a part of it. Um, just this resilience, not resilience, but reliance on ourselves. I think, I think that's a big thing that I see is that our affluence, we're, we're so conditioned that, oh, if I have a problem, I go to the drugstore, I talk to the pharmacist, I go to the doctor and we don't have a need mm -hmm. for the Lord until maybe something really serious happens. You know, you wake up one day and you get some test results back and you've got stage four cancer. Yeah. Then, then let's get a prayer chain going. Yeah. You know, then let's, let's talk about that. But we have so much affluence before that. Yes. That we don't need to really be having the Lord's perspective in the forefront of our mind as mm -hmm. we're thinking about things. Yes. 
I also wonder if we don't have some kind of disconnect in the Western church about whether or not um, certain illnesses might have demonic roots or demonic causes. Yes. And so we think that everything is like, I just need a medical diagnosis and then I need some medicine or some treatment. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we see in scripture, that's that's not always the case. They don't need a doctor. They got to cast out some demons. Yes. And I'm wondering from your experience in the African church, like what's their perspective on that? I think it is, it's always a possibility. And so prayer is always first. And like, I'm, I'm thinking about the time we prayed for my friend. She was probably, her daughter was maybe 12 and she had like a severe earache, like screaming and crying and all of these things. And there was no health insurance and it was prayer and the earache went away. Now, could we say it was demonically caused? Yes. Could we say that the Lord just stepped in and intervened because she had some severe ear infection? Yes. Do I really, between it being demonically caused or, you know, just divine intervention, it was divine intervention either way. Right. But do I know for sure that it was demonically caused? I don't. What I see in, what I, or what I have seen in the African church is that there is an openness to things being demonically caused. Where here, I don't necessarily always see that, That's or like not it's not like about a, very no. Much. It's one of the things that we kind of avoid. It's mm-hmm. it's like we're not gonna. Uh, most Christians I've talked to have never even conceived of the possibility that an illness might be mm-hmm. demonically caused. There, we're so conditioned in the West to thinking that all all sickness is just has a natural explanation something's gone wrong mm-hmm. that needs to be fixed and yes. i just need the right treatment medicine doctor whatever it never even occurs to us in our paradigm even as christians yes that there might be a demonic cause yes and i right now i'm thinking of so many times we've prayed for kids especially but like the earache night terrors um i had a friend who is it the meniscus tore her meniscus she was a um, sports player and played for one of their provincial teams and the doctors told her she was going to need surgery and all these things pray for it and it was healed they're just was that a little jarring for you growing as a at an adult going to another country but growing up for most of your life in the american church was it jarring for you to go to that context and all of a sudden they have more of an orientation toward the supernatural in the beginning did you find that kind of disconcerting or did you just sort of flow into it i kind of flowed into it um i think later on and before i went having conversations of like you know have you prayed about this or you know this could be demonic not necessarily this could be demonic we didn't really talk about that in my church but <laughs> i think the lord began to bring books along um across my path derek prince and i think his name is derek prince yeah um one of his books and just the idea that things could be demonically caused and then on a few trips i had gone on i had some i would say demonically caused events um more spiritual more just feeling like i couldn't connect with the lord um yeah and then having conversations with him about that and him explaining to me like the spirits on this continent are ancient it's a little different here and then i think diving more into that i think it's interesting because before i was sort of aware of these issues i don't know why but i had more of an openness to the supernatural happening in other countries like Mm. you know maybe that stuff just happens over there Mm -hmm. in asia and africa but I, I had never thought of those things as happening 
in a Western church in mm-hmm. an American context. And now that I'm more looking for those things, I, I notice it more in in our context, but it's it's just not something that we talk about. It's it's one of these topics that I think many Christians think, well that's weird and spooky. And maybe if I have an openness that it's over there, but it's not here. Which, As if all the demons just yes. live in that part of the planet. I don't know what we're thinking. But it's so odd because you see things in movies that clearly depict the supernatural. All of these scary movies or movies with dragons or, you know, it, it is a supernatural experience that people are having it is um at least in my opinion when i look at when i look at movies that talk about like ghosts and goblins and things like that there's like, a, certainly a lot know, of paranormal television shows yeah. there's a lot of things in our culture in the media that deal with the supernatural or hint at it um that's an interesting point i've i've talked to um my daughter my younger daughter about i've wondered um if there's a longing that we have as a culture for the supernatural. But the way that we express it is in the looking at these paranormal experiences, that that's just an expression of there has to be more. Hmm. That, that we are so conditioned to be functional naturalists in our culture. But then you see in movies and entertainment and TV shows all this kind of paranormal themes Yeah. that to me that points to a longing that we have that there must be something more out there. And whereas in other parts of the world, you don't have to convince them that there's something more out there. No, they already know that. Yes, they do. <laughs> then now they just want to know how do I avoid these evil spirits? How do I get rid of them? Mm-hmm. And we're over here in the West kind of dabbling, um, trying to make sense of it all. I think that's kind of interesting. I've even wondered uh, whether um, our fascination in our culture with superheroes mm. is a is an is an extension of our longing for the supernatural of a savior, mm. somebody to come save us. That the world is an evil place. It feels like evil is out of control, and we need a savior to come get us. Wow! And so those are just about it like that. yeah, those are just some little musings I've had. So are we getting any questions? Are people just swearing well, at us in the in the chat? Oh, good. Trying to encourage them to. Hey guys, um, ask your questions. All right, great. Yes. So. So somebody's giving us a greeting. Maybe a, a Muslim watching us right now, and uh, wishing us a greeting uh, of happy right life time. and wisdom. We thank, thank you for you. Th- we thank you for that, and. Um, we uh, appreciate that uh, greeting. We do want to encourage you if, if you anyone is one. Watching. We have six people watching. Six. Wow. We're, we're doing big things. We're doing big things. Yes. So are we, uh, we're, we're doing okay here, Bob? We're doing good. We're, we're, well. we're checking in. Okay. All right. I'm going to check on Facebook, see how we're doing. I'm streaming on uh, Theology Mom. Also, I can't. On my account, I can't like the only person who can do that is Pops. Okay. Because he decided on your But everything's oh. good. Everything's good right now. Everything's okay so far? All right. Awesome. So let me check here to see if anyone's got any questions for us. Welcome to all the things, all everyone. The thing. All know. the things. All the things. Oh, Rachel Sharkey is watching. Good. Give hey, Rachel. Seven people now. 
All right. Send us your questions. We want to answer them on Theology Bible in your real life situations. Yes. Um, so what else is happening? Let's talk a little bit more about uh, your experience. You've been a children's pastor. Yes. <laughs> past and present. Past and present. That's yes. right. Yes, I am children's ministry director at Fellowship Monrovia. Okay. Yes, or we are actually Fellowship Church. We just opened our third location, so we are not necessarily Fellowship Monrovia anymore. Okay, so you're Fellowship Church. Fellowship Church, yes. So you're one of the staff people there. I am. Working in the children's ministries. I am. Rounding up all the children. That's what they tell me I can do. So I'll do it. <laughs> That's right. Trust but in me. the past, you were back, I think when you were in your 20s, you were a children's. Yeah, late 20s, early or Early 30s or something. Yeah. <laughs> you were. Uh, we don't need to talk about age. That is not in, part of the things. Yeah. <laughs> that is not a thing. Working in the realm of children's ministries. Yes. I'm wondering um, when you think about children and their Christian testimony, like, for me, my church experience as a child was so powerful. Did you come to faith as a child or as an teenager. adult? As a teenager? Yeah, I was 15. Were you raised in the church? No. So between zero and 15, my grandmother would take me to church here and there. Um, and then, But she died when I was 12 or 13. And so from that time until I was 15, I never went back. Uh, and yeah, I probably, she got sick you know, early on. And so there were a number of years where I wasn't in church at all. So when you were a child, your grandmother was taking you to church. Were you excited to go to church with her? Was that like a fun thing or you just kind of went along because you were forced to or? So my grandmother kind of had a special church. <laughs> she had and like one of those black storefront churches with the yes, tambourine. Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes. And there were six people. Okay. And did the women wear hats? Yes, they had big hats, and our choir had like four people, and that was just, that was church, and it was Sardis Missionary Baptist Church, and if you read about the Church of Sardis in yeah. Revelations, I don't know why they chose to name their church Sardis, but that's it. And sort of an interesting name. Yes, interesting name. <laughs> right. um, and yeah, I would go. I didn't really understand what was happening. There was no children's ministry. We would all sit in church and hope not to get plucked or pinched for <laughs> chewing your gum too loud. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see, my mother has a thing about chewing gum in church as, as well. That yes. was, I was told that that's like akin to smoking in church. Wow. There, there will be no gum chewing. No gum chewing? No. It is like the step above going to hell. Yeah. So it's, you just need to, you need to know, no gum chewing in church. That's right. Um, yeah, it was the, we had the fans, we had. Was it like three hour church services? Three hour church service. And then you, after that, your grandmother wants to sit and talk with people. It's only six people in the church, but she needs to talk and make her rounds. And I need to make sure that Mother Sanders is well and doing Mother Sanders is as old as you, so I don't know that we need to be doing, you know, checks, but, you know. So that was your experience as a child? Yes. I, I'm so, like, curious today, you know, back then, we just sort of assumed children would come along with the adults, and they just had to tolerate these things. Now we're so busy entertaining them, we're worried that uh, about making them s sit still for 10 minutes. But you, you somehow managed a childhood of sitting through three-hour church it services horrible it was horrible but yes. you did it yes and but i mean there was fear, <laughs> there was fear. and panic 
And I don't think either either method is right. Yeah. You know, there are, you know, some that say keep every second, you know, filled. And there are curriculums that, I don't, is it curricula? Curricula. If it's there. So yes. <laughs> there we go. Um, there are curricula that would support that and that kids need to run around. They need to do this and everything should be filled. And then there are, you know, other schools of thought that say kids need to sit in church and they need to learn and they need to, you know, how, their parents. yes. How do you learn how to be an adult in church if you don't know how to sit in church as a child? And I disagree with both of those. Okay. So what would be your philosophy? I think a happy medium. Happy medium. Yes. Um, I think that, yes, having fun in church and knowing that church it can be fun is very important. I think that also creating a space where God is so much bigger than anything else in the room reminds children of how small they are and how big God is, but then also being able to create a pathway for relationship where they have access to God is as important where yes we can all sit together and we will learn things like respect and you know don't talk well you know i'm trying to talk or you know things like that like we don't do that but um all right we'll get to that yeah but we need to remember that we are training them to be adults but in this space it is a time of fun and that God is fun. God laughs with us. God wants to, you know, be with us in our race as we, you know, do certain things. And so let's race in children's church. Let's have pool noodle fights and (laughs) yes. And let's make the space as big as possible because God is so big. That's great. Um, That's some of it. All right. We have a question. From Rachel. Shockey. From Rachel. All right. Rachel. Uh, our friend Rachel Shockey says, hi, ladies. This is a great conversation. Dr. Craig Keener uh, talks about how casting out demons should be a part of evangelism. What are your thoughts? Uh, I love Dr. Keener. I've met him several times. My husband's ha- actually uh, had dinner at his house with him and his wife, mm-hmm. and they're just a very lovely couple. Uh, Dr. Keener is an amazing new testament scholar i think arguably uh one of the most probably the most preeminent new testament scholar that's living right now um super honored to have met him on so many occasions and i would actually agree with dr keener that it seems like the pattern in jesus's ministry you go look at matthew chapter 9 luke 9 luke 10 um, Acts 8, that there's certain activities related to ev- what we call evangelism. Jesus called it uh, bringing the kingdom of God near. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, preach the gospel. And those were the activities that were related to bringing the kingdom of God near. To I call it, um, it's a proclamation and a demonstration of of the gospel and that we need to do that with power and authority and jesus was given power and authority he walked in power and authority and he gives that to us today and so what we want to do then is as we're walking in power and authority proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of god just like jesus just like the 72 in, in uh, Luke chapter 10, 
And just like Philip, the evangelist in Acts chapter 8, just like the Apostle Paul um, and others. And so, uh, yes, I do think that casting out demons should be part of evangelism because we're getting people free and we're showing them which God is bigger, yes. which God is the most powerful yes. that people can get free. Did you ever have any experiences in Africa of seeing demons be cast out of people? Yes. And I think it, it looks a little different than what I've seen here. But first, I was going to say ditto to everything you just said. I completely agree. I believe that as people see signs and wonders, they do know this God is bigger. And they do choose to then put their faith in the one like true and living God. Um, in Africa, deliverance can be, I think for me, it was initially scary because sure. there was screaming Man and it's what I call there man was manifestations. manifestations. Yes. Yeah. So I remember one where this guy's eyes went completely white. Like it was just all white. There was no iris, no, no nothing. Um, or screeching and screaming and people, you know, being flung around and things like that. And so it just took a different approach to what I've seen here. Yeah. Kind of the what I've seen in working in the realm of deliverance is uh, more of the method. If I always like to refer people to the book by Carl Payne called Spiritual Warfare. And he talks a lot about establishing ground rules mm -hmm. that as we're walking in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, we can establish ground rules that demons must obey. And it really helps to cut down on those manifestations, manifestations so that uh, demons aren't trying to scare people and running amok. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are steps that can be done so that deliverance can be done decently and in order. Yes. And it's not, doesn't have to be quite so chaotic. And that's not to knock anyone who, who does it in the traditional way. It's just providing an alternative uh, paradigm of, of how yeah. it can also be done. Yes. So. Yes. And I think that as I would like to see children enter into the realm of deliverance more and more like praying for people and things like that. That's really important. Well, let's in talk about that. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's like one of my dreams and hopes is that I would love to talk about is um, as a child makes a profession of faith mm -hmm. and expresses true faith. Now, obviously, a child doesn't have full understanding of everything of what it means to be a Christian. But honestly, when I first came to faith, I didn't understand everything either. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all growing. We're all learning at, in, in growing and as we walk in our faith more and more. But when we have that faith, when we place our trust in Jesus, Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Yep. Children have Holy Spirit. Not a junior Holy Spirit. Not a junior Holy Not Spirit. Not a junior Holy Spirit. Not a, like, they got half the Holy Spirit, and nope. then they get a little bit more every year as they grow up. But it's Holy Spirit. So how do we meet the child's needs to learn their identity as they walk in Christ, to share their faith with others, to walk in power and authority. I would love to hear some of your thoughts about that. And I would love to share my thoughts on that. And unfortunately, I'm still in, I think, a conversation with the Lord and 
even just with myself on like what is the best way to teach children their identity in Christ like you can go to you know Psalms 138 where it says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made yes, but there 139 are, yeah. Yeah, yeah but there are steps before that like why are you fearfully and wonderfully made it's because you're in the image of God but what is that image and what what as image bearers does that mean for you as a child um, one of the things that I love about children is that even before fully understanding what it means to bear the image of God they just act in faith they just will let me pray for you you know, we can just pray for that. And I think it's that faith and coming from that place that will cast out demons, that will raise the dead, that will heal the sick. Um, but in regards to like raising them in there and teaching them like the true image that they have, I'm still just in a conversation of, with yeah. the Lord of from what I thought it would look like to where I am now. Sure. And, yeah. Yeah. And I think that what's interesting to me is how Jesus compares our faith that, that our goal for faith is to have so child, like childlike mm -hmm. faith to, to be like a child. And I've reflected on that quite a bit because academia for 25 years, I've learned how to have a very academic approach to my faith. I'm a very naturally analytical person, but a couple of years ago, the Lord really brought it to my attention that I had kind of educated out my childlike faith. Mm -hmm. Like I had kind of ripped it out of me and I needed to go through a season of repentance and asking the Lord humbly to repair my childlike faith because I thought I didn't really need it because I had so much understanding and I've had to go through this great transition of kind of reversing my faith not leaving my brain, not, not checking it out, but figuring out how do I pray for the sick in a very childlike way mm -hmm. to, to truly believe uh, what's happening. Oh, we got another. We got two questions. We got okay. some more questions. This is great. One from Rachel. Okay. Uh, from Jude, Jude White. Please forgive me for uh, probably um, not saying your name correctly. Uh, seeing miracles as for healing hopeless or terminal diseases is something well known in all cultures and religions, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, or East Asian religions. I think that's an interesting thought. And based on your comment earlier, it made me wonder if you're, if you're Muslim and um, how that, how you think about Jesus. Um, one of the unique features of Christianity is the thought that the name of Jesus is a, a critical name mm -hmm. for healing and that it is a name that above all other names. It is the name above all other spirits. And it's not to say that there aren't things that can't be explained in other religions. Mm -hmm. I certainly think that supernatural things happen yes. in other religions. The question is, for us as Christians from the paradigm we're coming from, the question we would ask is, what is the spirit behind, behind that supernatural act? It's not to say, and I'm so glad you asked that question, because it's not to say that Christianity is making a claim that we are the only religion that has supernatural, supernatural acts mm -hmm. or supernatural power. Um, the question is, is what is the spirit behind that power? Um, I don't know. Have you ever seen supernatural acts 
coming outside of the Christian religion there in Africa or your time in Haiti? Have you ever witnessed anything like that? I have not. I um I have heard many stories of sure. you know people who levitate and things like that, like pastors who go on mission trips and it's like you know come back and tell stories of people levitating, especially in India. Um, in Haiti, no, there was I didn't see any like and witness anything. Yeah. No. But we can certainly access the supernatural mm-hmm. many different ways. Um, from a Christian point of view, we would be asking the question, what is the power behind that? Mm-hmm. We would say, yes, there are many spirits that exist, but there is only one Holy Spirit that is attached to the one true God, that is, yeah. that is a person in the Godhead. So that's kind of how we would approach it from a Christian point of view from from our worldview but certainly recognizing and acknowledging that there are supernatural acts and even supernatural um healings of certain degree um that exist in other religions the question is what's the power behind that would you consider things like astral projection then like a supernatural act or yeah manifestation yeah very good i think there was another question if i can all right so our friend rachel had a follow-up how do we differentiate between real exorcisms and healings and false ones do you have any resources you recommend for talking about this in our churches yeah it's a great question first let me do the resource question um, a great book that I always like to recommend as a starter book on deliverance is Spiritual Warfare by Carl Payne. Um, to me, it's very biblical, super balanced, well-written. Uh, Carl Payne has been doing deliverance uh, for about 30 years. Mm-hmm. He's up in Seattle. I th- believe he's the chaplain for the Seattle Supersonics and um, comes from a conservative Baptist background. So that kind of opens the book up to an audience that even if they're not charismatic, they'll they still they'll, have some balance. Yeah, there's yeah. some balance there, and they'll they'll engage with the book. Um, can you go back to the question for a minute, there, Mr. Operator? Uh, how do we differentiate between real exorcisms and healings and false ones? That's a great question. Um, I think that the issue of healings, fake healings. I don't know if I want to call them fake, but questioning the spirit behind Behind the Mm -hmm. healing is is a big one um i think that and this is something to Mm. do to be completely candid i'm still thinking through Mm -hmm. myself as to how to discern that but um because i definitely see like in the realm of energy healing for example in more eastern traditions that they have a path of healing that some people get relief from and the uh the question is is one of the questions i've asked about that is um sometimes i've noticed that people who get initial healing through energy healing methods um when they continue to engage in those methods over time they can actually get sicker Mm -hmm. over time and what initially seemed like promising results becomes more complicated later um but what I see the differences in Christian healings is the magnitude of the healing mm-hmm. where people are getting really free from serious disease, mental illnesses, and in an almost an instantaneous way. Mm-hmm. And, but that's a, that's a great question because um, there certainly seems to be a path where 
in, in scripture that talks about exorcisms that were done apart from the name of Jesus, that Jewish leaders were exorcisms. My, my battery's going to die. Okay, the battery's going to die. percent left on this camera. Okay, so, well, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say one of the things that, oh, so many words. Um, Yes, just yes. We will leave it there. No, go yes, ahead. Yes. Go ahead. Um, no, well, I was going to say if a demonically caused event or a demonically caused sickness has occurred, in order to keep you bound and in that circle, to me, it's, it would seem like there would be or could be demonically caused relief as well. Yeah. And, you know, now here you are thinking, oh, my gosh, like whatever this method was, it really worked. I'm going to continue to entertain and stay in this. Yeah. And that just, I think, to your point, leads people to become sicker or more entrenched in the in the demonic because mm -hmm. they are finding their source in the demonic and not yeah. in Jesus. Very good. Well, we're going to wrap it up there for tonight. And we want to thank you for your questions. Yes. And this was a fun little experiment. And we'll see where this goes. But we thank you for joining us and checking out all the things. This is a show where we fearlessly talk about all, all the, the things. things. So we look forward to uh, talking to you again. God bless. Bye.